0: To have a good harvest, one must plant good seeds
1: and must also use the right kind of fertilizer. The carrots have grown large and firm. How good they will taste. Welcome to the Backyard Gardens podcast, a companion podcast to the upcoming documentary Backyard Gardens the Movie. A story about two families growing their first gardens in a world that lacks nutrition. I'm your host and director Ben Neville. So everybody wants to know about starting seeds and <laughs> I'm just beginning in my journey and I decided that we would try and get an expert on and she's been kind enough to help us for our movie and our podcast by supplying seeds and knowledge and she's here today. That's, this is Bridgette with San Diego Seed Company. So thank you for coming on.
0: Good mo- Yeah, you're welcome. Good morning.
1: So tell us about your farm and what you guys do.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we are a one-acre certified organic urban farm in San Diego, and we produce uh, regionally adapted seeds for Southern California and the American Southwest. Um, and we specialize in seed production, seed trialing, and seed breeding. And, um, being that we do all of that, uh, we do a lot of seed starting, so I'm happy to talk to you about that.
1: Awesome. So what zone are you guys in?
0: Uh, we're located, uh, we're in zone 10 and most of our growers are nine and 10, um, depending on the elevation. We have some eights as well. Um, what zone are you guys in?
1: I believe this is really bad that I don't know off the top of my head, but I think I'm in seven. Or like seven A or okay. B, something like that. So not too far off from you.
0: Uh-huh. There, yeah, yeah. You guys just have a, a little bit. You get harder uh, frost,
1: correct? You guys get like a hard freeze. Yeah. Um. Well, it's funny you say that. We had one in. Uh, we had a couple in December, but we haven't had any cold weather yet this year. So, um, I've I've got my snow peas that usually start in like March, and they're still growing. So it's great. But yeah, it it can be hit or miss. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well. For us as well, we have some, you know, um, we we don't even call it winter; we call it cool season here, <laughs> and we have some cool seasons where it, you know, I saw tomatoes producing. I harvested a huge basket of tomatoes yesterday um, because we haven't really gotten that cold. The tomatoes are ripening a little bit slower because the temperatures are below fifty three at night. Right. But otherwise, the plant super happy. So um, our winters are 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 actually kind of a hard time to grow in because we get hot spells and um, you know it's uh, for growers here they get a little confused about what to grow because it can be 85 during the day sometimes.
1: Yeah you're um, you're not doing very good for yourself right now. You're going to make a lot of people mad if you're still getting tomatoes <laughs> and fe- in January. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay well to, to make those listeners feel better I will say that it is so hard to get uh, a good head of broccoli here um, because we have these like hot periods during, <clears throat> during our cool season. And uh, we, can, we really can't grow Brussels sprouts. So there you go, there's that. And yeah. it's very hard to grow things like spinach because it's not cool and wet for a long enough period of time. So, um, you know, don't be envious. <laughs> that's true,
1: that's true. You guys have your own issues because I do look forward to yeah. growing the greens and stuff like that. They're a little bit easier to grow.
0: Yeah, exactly. And here we need, um, irrigation, um, because we just you know we're supposed to get rain during the cool season, but we don't always do, and and a lot of times it comes all at once, and then that's it. Um, so it's you know the grass isn't always green on the other side, although it is pretty green over here.
1: <laughs> so a lot of people want to start seeds, and I know when I started, man, it was an uphill battle trying to figure it out, and. The internet, I mean, it was good, but, you know, YouTube and stuff like that and different resources weren't as available as they are now, but, you know, why would somebody want to, um, why would somebody want to start seeds versus like buying seedlings or something like that?
0: Well, uh, when you, when you start your own seeds, you, first of all, it's way more economical. Actually, if you are on tight budget, you do have to spend a little bit on the setup as far as having the right soil and things like that. And I will explain, um, you know, what's best for seed starting. But, you know, for a $3 pack of seeds, you can get, like, our tomato packs will sow a 100-foot row of tomatoes. And, you know, I don't know very many um, growers in small spaces that even have 100 feet of tomato space to grow in. So you get more bang for your buck, and then there's also thousands upon thousands of varieties that are available via seed that you're not gonna get in the nursery from starts. Um, And then additionally, depending on where you are buying your starts, you have to be careful because sometimes they're root bound, which means their roots are, are really tangled up. They've been in the pot too long, and when you plant them, they're not going to do anything. And if you're not buying uh, organic starts, they can have some pretty yucky stuff on it that you may not want as a grower. So, there's a lot of things to consider.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do a mixture. So, sometimes I'll have like a space in my garden like, oh, I'm going to fill it and I'll get something. But I've really gone to the seeds and it's, for me, it's worked well. But I always fail at the tail end of it, which we'll get into in a little bit. So, and by the way, your seeds do grow really well in zone 7a or b whatever i'm in so i i do appreciate that's, that's wonderful yeah i mean we've had some stuff that hasn't done as good but for the most part i mean a tomato is a tomato you know so we can do we've done really well with them and people in the movie, they have a well, there's a bit of a story to it and I won't get into that on the air. I'll tell you about it later. but you know what they were able to grow the first year was really good. and I could tell the difference between the plants that I had bought, the seedlings and their plants, and it was totally different. So that's a, I mean, that's a oh, big that's ups to you guys. Great. Yeah. And by the way, they just completed their IndieGoGo campaign to get, what was it instructions on your seeds? New seed packets? Um, so we
0: we, uh, we finished our Indiegogo campaign to raise money to get new seed packets, which are um, front and back, full color, and they have all the growing information on the back, um, which you know they should have, but we've just been such a tiny company that we haven't been able to afford to do that. But now, with everybody's help, we have the funds, and so our seed packs are getting a facelift, and we're going to be able to set growers up with, Really good information to make them be successful.
1: Yeah, and I mean, anybody that's ever done an IndieGoGo campaign, it's not as easy as like, "Hey, give me some money." It's like constant work for the length <laughs> of your campaign. Like every day, it's something do you have to do. It's it's a real uphill battle. So the fact that they went through the the end game is awesome.
0: Yeah, thank you. We we couldn't have done it without everybody's support, and um, you know, we most people took advantage of our seed pack deal, so you know, um, basically people bought products before we even had it made, but that, but then trusting me to buy a product before we have it on our shelves is, um, a huge vote of confidence and it is going to help us make this happen. So to everybody, thank you so much.
1: Yeah. And it speaks volumes for your company too, because people really believe in you. So,
0: cool.
1: Thank you. When you uh, when you start seeds, do you recommend people do it inside or outside? Or you know, I know you're in San Diego, so it's a little bit different. But you know, in a colder area, what would you recommend? Well,
0: the first thing to think about when you're doing any seed starting uh, is to think about how are you going to start the seeds that they can be the most successful. And, um, you know, I can give seed starting advice that you can apply to anywhere. You could apply it to Southern California or Siberia. So the idea is if you're starting, uh, let's say broccoli, uh, seeds, if the air, if the temperatures outside are too high or too low for those broccoli seedlings to sprout and be happy, then you want to do them in what's called protected culture, and that could be simply a window seal in your kitchen. It could be a mini greenhouse that you build, or it could be, you know, a big greenhouse if, if you guys if you have the space. Um, but the idea is: are your seedlings going to be at the correct temperature to sprout quickly and 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 happily, and then grow uh, quickly and happily? And that's the thing to think about. If you um, look online on our website. And I can also just, you know, email it over to you. We have a list that, that shows you the ideal temperatures for your seedlings. And really, when you're when you're starting your seeds, this should be your reference sheet that you look at all the time because it's going to help guide your decision making process. If it's um, <clears throat> excuse me, if it's twenty degrees outside, um, and you really want to start some broccoli seeds, and you know broccoli seeds germinate best at. Um, you know, 55 degrees and up, well, then you're going to want to provide them with 55 degrees and
1: up. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense. And in the last episode, we talked about um, how, what to get to start seeds. And one of them I talked about was a, uh, a heat mat. If you have like, you know, you have temperature issues. I don't use one personally. I don't know if it would help me or not, but I know that I've heard a lot of good things about them.
0: You know, heat mats are really uh, great tools and super inexpensive. You can get them from, um, from uh, nurse, any well-stocked nursery will have the trays of the heating pads. And you'll notice on things like your solanaceae, so your peppers, your tomatoes, um, eggplants, that they will spout almost twice as fast if they've got a little bit of heat underneath them. And <clears throat> what happens when they spout quicker is you end up having healthier plants in the long run. Um, your end product that you're transplanting in your garden is going to be happier. So I highly suggest if you haven't used one, use one, and you'll notice a really big difference. the The goal as a seed starter is to get that seed from the seed form to a transplant in your garden as quickly and as you know as best as you can. That's what makes for really good produce in the long run.
1: My wife just got mad at you because now I'm going to buy a seed mat. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if well, it makes... luckily,
0: I, I think they're only like fifteen bucks or something, and, and they'll last forever. I mean, we've had um, we we've had a couple that we've used on our farm. We actually use them for germinating, doing our germ our germination test for the seed company. And it's nice because that little bit of heat will have them germinate, and I can get a count a lot quicker than than waiting for them to struggle in cold soil.
1: Right, because you're working on a larger scale, correct?
0: I mean, we are one acre. Certified organic, right. um, and so we're not huge by any means. I mean, uh, in fact, when I go back home to Kansas, where I'm from, people giggle that you know my one acre is a farm because when I'm from, you know, people have one acre home garden, right? Um, but we produce a huge amount of seeds on this um, lot because seeds can be you can get a high yield for a very small area. So.
1: Yeah, and I mean, one acre garden is huge for a family or a group of people. You can grow a lot of food Mm -hmm. in it. So, I mean, I have thirty-two square feet of raised beds, and I don't know what my new bed is, but it's not very productive yet. But I get a plenty out of it, and I always have to. We donate what we have left over to the food pantry and stuff like that, and we always bring you know bags full of food. So you don't need a lot of space. Yeah, it's
0: pretty incredible. It is. And that's why with, with seed starting, you know, if you have a smaller space, you can be, you can have a much more productive area because you can succession plant. So that's where you, you know, do your first round of planting, you wait a few weeks, you do your second round of planting. That allows you to constantly have produce, or I'm sorry, starts that you're putting in the ground and produce that you're harvesting. So it becomes this cycle of, Seed start, transplant, harvest, and then back around again, and and that's how um, like market growers really can provide a lot of produce to their customers on a constant basis is by all, always seeding. Um, on our farm, we we are constantly in the greenhouse, uh, just seeding, 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 transplanting. It's a um, ongoing process. It's not necessarily a season where we do it once and we're done.
1: Right. And do you, and so you said something about putting seedlings or seeds in windowsills? Do you recommend that? Cause in my experience they get a little leggy cause they're reaching for the light. I feel like it's really important to kind of add some supplemental light to it, but I didn't know what your You're take was. You're
0: absolutely it on- correct. Um, any, whenever you see seedlings that look long and leggy and kind of trans, um, translucent or like a light pale green, that means they're not getting enough light. And so, um, you want to catch them before that happens, and either move them to a, a, a different window that gets more sun, or add um, a supplemental grow light. Um, I am not a huge fan of grow lights, partly because um, you know we're lucky enough here that our temperatures don't get that cold, so I can use the natural light outside in the greenhouse. Um, but for you guys, if if you're getting really cold weather, or if any of our listeners get, you know, snow, the days are really short, you're going to want to get a grow light and make sure that it is, the lights are specifically for, um, growing plants. Um, just any, any light won't necessarily do. Um, and they're fairly inexpensive. A lot of hydroponic shops and garden shops have them. I think even Home Depot sells them, but that will drastically improve your success rate because the plants will get, um, Twelve to eighteen hours or more of, of sunlight for them to photosynthesize and grow.
1: Yeah, I've used um, I've actually used the the regular CFL bulbs before in that you the curly ones that you, everybody uses, and they will make things grow. They're not as strong, but they do. If you get enough of them, because I talked about in the last one how you could make a, um, make a grow light out of it, but you have to get multi like a splitter to put into a reflector. And it will work, but it's not as strong as if you had an actual grow light because it's got the right light spectrum and all that in it. But with LED technology, it's getting so cheap now.
0: Yeah, the nice thing about the grow lights too is they're usually long and um, you'll know, have two hooks so that you can hang them. Yeah, and keep them. You you, you want to have your grow lights just an inch or two off your starts, and then move the grow lights up. You know, as the plants grow, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I see when I see gardeners doing their their, their own seed um, starting operations inside. Is that they will hang the light like a normal light and not realize that it needs to be very close to the to the plant for it to grow quickly and happily.
1: Yeah, I, that was a mistake I had at first, and I would have broccoli as a matter of fact, and it would be the broccoli would be like six inches long yeah. with like new leaves on it. It was ridiculous. And, of course, yeah. they failed, but that's okay. So in the different zones that people are in, uh, d- do you have, like, a rule of thumb of when they should start or what they should start first, at least, something like that? Because I know it's hard. There's so many different zones.
0: Yeah, so the best way to, to know or understand what to start is to first know when your last frost date is. And the reason why you want to know that is when you know what your last frost frost date is you know how many weeks prior to that you should be starting your crops the reason being is some crops you know take a long time to be grown indoors they'll be indoors or in you know underneath grow lights or in your greenhouse for six seven eight weeks prior to planting them out so that first frost date is your um basically your uh go collect $200 remarks where uh, you know prior to that what you have to plant. We actually just posted online our last blog on our website is a list of all of your flower, your vegetable, and your herb crop, and how many weeks prior to your frost date you want to start them. So it's nice because we have it in, in order of timeline. So it starts out Okay, eight weeks before your last frost date. So if your last frost date is, you know, let's say February, then, you know, two months prior to February, you want to be starting these crops. Right. Um, and then it goes on and in order. Um, and every area is different. Every, you know, some people have frost dates well into May, you know, depending on where you're at. Um. But that is our last blog, and it's online, and I suggest people check it out. It's a, it's a great article that we put
1: together. Yeah, I'll, put, I'll link it in the show notes, and I'll also um, I'll put it on our website. I, actually, my whole website is pretty much the movie and San Diego Seed Company's information because they do such a great job. So yes. it takes a lot of work off me, and I appreciate it. <laughs>
0: well, thank you. <laughs> There's no you point in say. typing it twice. Yes, exactly.
1: And then when you do your – so when you have your seedlings growing – what would you recommend as far as care, like watering and then really once they start get going, you know, once you get them in the in the dirt or the soil, excuse me, I was corrected on when we I was um, we did I had a soil scientist. I did an interview for the movie and she was like, stop calling it dirt. And I was like, yes, ma'am, <laughs> made me feel really bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, dirt is, uh, yeah, it is soil. It is very
1: different. <laughs> so once you get it in the soil, what do you do to kind of make it a happy place for it to go, to grow?
0: Well, let's, let's backtrack just for a second, and I want to um, kind of walk through my top tips or advice that I give people when they're seed starting. So I will assume that some of your grow, or your listeners are growers who have never started anything from seed and are scratching their head that how to start. And some of the biggest mistakes that I see people uh, do is, first, they don't use the correct soil. So there is a product called seed starting mix or seed starting soil. Sometimes it's called propagation mix. And there's a reason why that product is carried in nurseries, because it's a really good product to start your seeds in. Um, I've seen many growers and gardeners try to just use some of their soil from outside, you know, from their boxes or, or what have you, which will work, but you will drastically improve your success rate if you use seed starting mix. It is specially formulated to have the seeds pop through very easily. So it's very light, it's fluffy, it uh, lets air get through so your seeds don't suffocate and ground, um, and it holds on moisture so they also don't dry out and shrivel up. So uh, I can't stress that enough. You will see at least a 50% increase in success if you use the correct seed starting mix, um, or or you can use a really good quality potting mix that you sift so that if you're planting, let's say, you know, small seeds that you don't have a piece of bark that's sitting on top of the seeds and preventing it from popping through. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. I, uh, I grow bonsai, too, and we I do a lot of sifting to get all the dust out of the Akadema that I use. And it's a pain, but you all the time you get stuff out. And I talked in the last episode, I when I first started, I bought a bag of $1 soil, which is not even soil, it's dirt, and it had, like, had um, Hershey Kiss wrappers in it and trash, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it was terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, uh, really good soil makes a, makes a really big difference. The other uh, factor with using a seed starting mix is um, the seed starting mix will be sterile. So it's not going to have a bunch of pathogens in it that's likely to kill off your, your seedlings once they sprout up. Um, and if you get a seed starting mix that has a little bit of fertilizer in it, like if you use a really good potting mix, like uh, the Kellogg Blue Ribbon um, is a good potting mix. It's got bat guano and all kinds of um, uh, organic fertilizers in it. Once that seedling sprouts up, it will immediately be fed because a a seed is a living, respiring organism. It is actually living when you hold it in your hand. And it only has enough energy, sugar, um, you know, uh, energy in it to break through its seed coat and and put put forth its first set of true leaves. Once that happens, if you don't fertilize, your seedling will struggle and struggle and struggle. So that is my other tip that people often forget about. They don't feed their starts, and then they wonder why they're super stunted. A seedling is like an infant. You need to feed it frequently and with a diluted amount of uh, organic fertilizer that will not burn.
1: So what do you feed it? What do you recommend feeding it with?
0: We use fish emulsion. I know it's stinky, <clears throat> um, but it, it, it's really, uh, it's economical for us. Uh, we use a certified organic fish emulsion, and it's uh, the numbers are like 2 2, two you yeah. know, so it's 2% nitrogen, 2%, 2%, 2% uh, potassium phosphorus. Um, and it, I can spray it directly on the leaves. It's not going to burn the plant. Uh, it's just application-wise, it's very
1: easy. Do you you use Neptune's?
0: um, No, we use uh, Alaska. It's an OMRI product. Okay. It is uh, fish and kelp. Um, I know Neptune, that's another product, and that's an option for growers. Um, But uh, so good seed starting mix makes all the difference. The other factor that I see people often um, overlook or um, mistakes they make is they will plant their seedlings at the incorrect depth for their seeds, rather. Um, if you plant a carrot seed, you know, in the ground at, at one inch deep, it's not going to pop through all that soil. So you want to make sure that you plant it at the correct depth, and the rule of thumb is you want to plant it twice as deep as the width of the seed. So, you know, a bean seed is pretty big, so you plant it at about an inch. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but Planting it at the correct depth
1: will set you off uh, for success. Yeah, that's something I do wrong. I, I definitely uh, plant pretty deep, and I've noticed too. Like I'll, I'll go through the soil if nothing comes up, and I'll see that a root came out, but it never, fin- you know, popped through. So, and some of the seeds, man, they're teeny, teeny, teeny. You might as- you just put them on the ground, basically, right?
0: Yeah. So. um one of the tips that I have that uh, really, for us, is super helpful is if you are planting a seed either, uh, you know, in the greenhouse to transplant out or, you know, directly in the ground and it's really small, like carrot seeds, for example, we actually sift, um, like, either really fine potting mix or we'll use propagation mix. And we sift it and we dust the top of the soil kind of like you're dusting the top of, like, a, a cake with powdered sugar. And you just put this fine layer of soil on top and pat it down. Mm-hmm. And you will see your germination rates will increase drastically because the it's a nice thin layer on top and there's no sticks or, you know, pieces of mulch that are, that are going to um, keep the seeds from sprouting. So that's a, that's a big tip. And if you're a new grower... Uh, and you haven't done much seed starting, when you're planting your seeds, and because they're really small, you can plant them directly on top of your, your pot and then dust them with that soil finely, and you'll notice uh, your germination rates will increase. You'll see much better germination rates.
1: That's a pretty good idea. I never thought about sifting it and, and putting the dust on. And yeah,
0: they, and it, it makes a big difference.
1: And going back to the fertilizer, when you use the fish emulsion... How much do you you do? You, um, dilute it a little bit more, or do you put full strength on?
0: Uh, we dilute it by about fifty okay. percent, and every time I'm watering, I am uh, watering and fertilizing. I'm fertigating, if you will, um, and that just allows them to suck up as much nutrients every single time. Our goal is to get those seedlings out of the greenhouse as quick as possible. Well because we want them to be healthy and we want them to be in the garden. right? Um, And also because our
1: greenhouse space is always crowded. So we want them out. Yeah, I use Neptunes and I love it for everything. Every time I use it, I can tell instantly that the plants love it. And just a little bit of history about myself. I used to be a fisheries biologist before I did this. And when I was living up in New England, we would go out, go out on ships on fishing boats as a, in a bio, as a biologist and they made a law that said you couldn't throw away any fish so that's when they started bringing it back and Neptune's really took off because they had to bring all of the fish that it wouldn't normally sell and they would turn it into fish emulsion so that's pretty cool and I'm, let me tell you that place stunk bad <laughs> it was the worst uh, smell ever
0: I'm sure I'm sure it's not any worse I worked at a landfill Oh. Um, and the smell of the, the chemical stuff that my info was pretty bad. I think I'll take fish guts over that.
1: Yeah. did Did you ever get used to the smell?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, we use the, the fish emulsion in the greenhouse, so it always smells like dead fish in there. And I walk in and I don't notice it because you know we're used to it. Yeah. But other people walk in and go, thinking.
1: My cat just eats my plants afterwards. That's the problem I have.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a real issue.
1: So once you... Um,
0: okay, so i got... Oh, sorry,
1: go, go ahead. ahead.
0: So we covered soil. I just want to make sure I cover all my bases. Um, fertilizing, uh, planting depth. And then the other thing I want people to remember that will help them is that seeds have to remain moist to germinate. That is the process which causes it. In which their um, seed coats burst open, and then the seed gets out. So, if you have starts to dry out, and then you water them, and dry out, and then you water them, you're not going to get any. You're not going to have successful germination of those seeds. So, um, you know, in our greenhouse, we do everything. Everything has trays underneath it, and we'll put the water in the trays, and then the, the so the it gets stuck up the moisture that way. Um, but keeping them moist
1: until they germinate is critical for your success. Yeah, I've let, I've let mine dry out before because I've had an issue, and this kind of goes into the next question I have is about with fungus gnats with the soil being too moist. And so I've tried to stay yeah, on so top I've, of it, and then I've let things dry out and die off in the process. Yeah,
0: so there is a, a balance that you have to strike. Absolutely. Um. once your seeds germinate, once they pop through that soil, you you want to pull back on the watering slightly. And, you know, people ask me all the time, well, how often do you water? How much do you water? It is so hard for me to say because every soil mix is different. In fact, in our greenhouse, during the summer, we use a different soil mix that holds on to moisture more than we do in the winter because we've learned that in the wintertime, if we use a soil... Seed starting mix or propagation mix is really heavy in tea Our temperatures are cooler, and the greenhouse is holding on the moisture, and we get a lot of uh, fungus issues. So you have to gauge that as a grower and, and let things um, uh, you know dry out to to a point where your fungus is not an issue. That's another reason why we really like bottom watering, so putting water in the tray versus on top of the start once it's sprouted. That will also help decrease issues with dampening off, which is a fungal issue. And uh, listeners will know that they've had dampening off uh, in the start. It looks like somebody came along and squished the middle of their, um, of their sprout, and it just topples over. Uh, that is the characteristic of that particular pathogen, is that it attacks the middle stem of the seedling, and it looks like someone took their fingers and squished it and it just fell over. That's dampening off. It, it's very common, um, but you need to control your watering to control that.
1: That's interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I've had that before, but I didn't know that's what it was. I just kind of figured it just wasn't good seed or something.
0: Nope. Yep, that's called dampening off. And, um, you know, it's a very, once you notice it and you know what that is, then you You'll notice it every time that you have that issue, and it is a watering issue. You also want to make sure that you water with, um, you know, you don't want to have stinky old water that's been sitting in your um, watering can for weeks on it. It's that to water. Uh, You want to use clean, fresh water, and that's also one of the reasons why growers will use brand new pot and sterilized potting mix, just because it helps. That in our greenhouse we don't. I don't buy plug trays every single year because that's uh, ridiculous. But we do try to keep our greenhouse very clean, uh, not introduce any new pathogens. We use uh, new potting mix for brand new planting uh, because you know a little baby seedling doesn't have a lot of defense mechanisms. But you know a four-inch transplant, it can stand a little bit of. You know, it, it, it's just like as babies grow, they become a little
1: more resilient. Right. I guess, it, like you said earlier, it's like an infant. You just really got to take care of it at first. I mean, you wouldn't, like, go oh with a, an infant with a flu and, like, hold them. You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. And, and once people start thinking about it that way, like, okay, this, this is my baby. I have to, you know, um, baby it to get it big and strong. And and once it gets big enough and strong enough, it can fight off a lot. Uh, when you transplant your plants out into the garden, um, if they're big and strong, they can fight off a lot of issues past the disease phase. But if you have a weakling or a sick transplant that you transplant out, it's most likely going to become target of insects and disease and maybe not make it.
1: Right. Yeah, well, uh, one thing, the actually the soil scientist lady told me when we were filming her, And this was something that's hard for me to wrap my head around, though, is when you have a plant growing in your garden and it's weak and it's hurting, she was like, just go ahead and tear it up. It's never going to come back and just replace it with something else. And I guess it's the same with a seedling. Like if it's struggling, just go ahead and get rid of it, you know. And that's really hard for me to do when I have a tomato plant or something that's doing it as producing, but it's starting to die off. It's hard to go out, go ahead and do it. And I tried to do it last year, and I wasn't very good. So this year, hopefully, I'll be better.
0: Yeah, it's a learning curve for all growers to realize that the you know the the benefit of all is better. You know, if all of the garden is happy when you pull out one plant versus keeping one plant, and it might get all the other plants sick, especially if it has you know. Um, diseases or if it's infected with insects, that can be really detrimental to the rest of your garden and you want to, uh, you know, pull it out for the benefit of, of
1: all. That's true. So um, what problems should people look out for other than the collapsing of the stem, the dampening?
0: So when you're doing some, let's say you, let's, you know, you take all my instructions and you are super excited, you go home, you do some starting. You use the right soil. Um, you keep the soil moist—not drowned but moist—and you get your seedlings to sprout, and you're so excited. Um, there's a couple things you can run into. Um, one, if they're too lanky, that's because it's not enough light. If they're—if you notice that they just fall off, you know they look like they just fell over, and you know in the middle looks squash, thats dampening off. Um, uh, if they don't sprout at all, you have to ask yourself. Did I, keep the moist, did I keep the soil moist and or did I plant them at the correct depth? Those are all things to think about. Um, and then another thing that people often overlook, but it's what makes a really good start, is if you overseed and you have too many sprouts in one little area, say it's a pot or a pot or a tray, if you don't thin, all of your plants are going to be Um uh, We use 50-plus a tray, plug trains that are um, 50 plugs, do little squares that you plant out. And we do one plant per square. So if I overseed, you know, I get a little squirrely when I'm planting my, my lettuce seeds out, a few too many fall into a cell. I want to pluck out the weak and only leave the, the happiest, healthiest one. Um, you'll notice that it will grow exponentially faster, it's going to be happier, it's going to be healthier. Um, than having six little ones in a tiny little square. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah. I mean, I usually put, uh, my rule is I put three seeds in each cell, and once they grow, I cut the two weakest ones down.
0: Yep. Is yep. that a- it? It's, it's so hard. Um, you know, it, it, it's almost as hard as pulling out a plant out of your garden when it's not doing really good, you know? It's, it's heartbreaking, but if you don't do it, your plants are never going to be super happy. So, right. um, I really recommend people do
1: that. Well, I mean, I nev- and the way I look at it always is I never went and bought a seedling that had two eggplants in one cell. So why yeah, should I do it point. that way? You know what I mean? Like they know, yeah. I think for the most part, they know what they're doing depending on where you get it from. And yeah. It-
0: if they have a big enough operation, uh, you know, they're probably very well versed
1: in it, what they're doing. Yeah. And, and then, what about uh, like any kind of insects or anything in the house?
0: Well, you were mentioning the soil mats. So the soil mats is for keeping the top of the soil too moist, so water from the bottom. Um, really, in the house setting, you should be pretty good unless you have mice or anything. Um, they can come and you know chew up your seedlings. If you're doing it like on a uh, you know porch or a garage or something, you know keep a lookout that. Otherwise, really, in a protective setting, you shouldn't have a whole lot of insects. Um, I do want to talk about transplanting out though. Uh, a lot of times, you know, growers will go through all the work of getting their seedlings up and happy. They spend money on the soil and the fertilizer and all is going well and then they plant it out in the garden and their seedlings die and it, it can be extremely frustrating. You've spent you know, six weeks prior, prepping this plant to transplant, and then you kill it you transplant it out. So there's a couple of things to, to remember um, when you transplant your 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 start out into the ground. You want to make sure that the soil is moist. It is so important because you're going to take this plant out of its ideal condition, ideal temperature, um, moisture. And you're going to put it in the ground, and it's likely when you pull that start out of the, the pot, you're going to break up some of the roots. which means it's going to uh, wilt quicker. So you want to pre-water any area that you're planting into. And for us in the uh, American Southwest and Southern California, I recommend that people plant, if it's going to be a warm day, that they plant in the evening because the plant has all evening to acclimate um, instead of planting it first thing in the morning, and then you know, the hot noonday sun is just beating on it, it could well pass the point of return, and that's how you fail your transplant.
1: Yeah, I actually I do good transplanting, but it's the hardening off is where I fail.
0: Yes, uh, that is a really good point. It's important to activate your plants, again, think of them as babies. You know, you wouldn't take a newborn to the beach, right? Not right away, at least. You take your time. You're protecting them um, in areas that, um, you know, in, in Southern California, particularly in the summertime when it's really hot, we have to slowly acclimate them to the hot outdoor temperatures. And um, sometimes we'll put them in uh, our shade house, which is just an area that we put shade cloth up so that they can acclimate there. Uh, or when we transplant them out, sometimes we put shade cloth over them to protect them until they are ready to uh,
1: deal with the first condition. Yeah, we do. I guess my problem is, is because you know how you're supposed to put it in the shade and then give it a little bit of sun, then take it out, and then give it a little bit more sun. And it gets, it's the timing that gets me is how long do you do that for? You know, how long do you leave it in the shade for, or in the sun, the first couple days, and how long does that last? That's the real problem that I have. Do you have any tips on that for people?
0: I do. You know, it does depend on your on your area and the temperature that you're enduring. You know, like for us. In the fall, we get these really hot winds called Santa Ana's, and if I'm doing any transplanting during that time, I want to make sure that my starts are big and healthy and really robust before I put them outside, or they won't last. But right now, the average day temperatures are like it's like 65 degrees, and we've got plenty of rain. The ground's really moist. Um, I can take a, a pretty small transplant stick into my garden and it's going to be happy. Because it's, it's, the temperatures inside the greenhouse is not that much different than what I'm planting it out into. So, depending on how extreme those two differences are, that's how long you should think about, um, dancing, uh, I'm sorry, hardening um, off your, your transplant. You know, if it's, um, if it's early spring and it's still really cold outside, you're getting very cold nighttime temperatures, then, then take a few extra days. It's much better to take a few extra days and, and have a strong transplant to put the ground than rush it and lose the weeks of prep
1: work done by her. Yeah, gardening in twenty twenty is a is a hard concept because it takes a lot of patience. And and that's Absolutely. I mean, like I said, that's always <laughs> invariably where I mess up and I lose a plant or a bunch of plants is during that time frame. And being very patient with hardening off to the amount of sun and the temperatures is is crucial. Because our last frost date here technically is April 21st. But, I mean, we haven't had a cold day in over a month. So, it's tempting to go out there and put something in the ground. But you have to look forward and know, like, even though if it's April 20th, you could still have that frost date. And even after that for a little bit, it's still like a slight possibility. But you can look into the 10-day forecast and see the low temperatures and kind of get an idea. And I've noticed that if I wait until about May 1st, that's really the good time for me to get my plants in the ground. So that's waiting an extra nine days. But my plants do so much better, and I get a lot more out of them.
0: Yeah, patience, patience is very important in any growing. Right. Um, another tip I have for growers is when you're doing your hardening off um, when you have your transplants and you're putting them outside of the sun, don't put them onto super hot concrete. Concrete radiates a lot of heat and uh, when I first started growing, I remember somebody giving me you know, a beautiful tray of okra that they had just transplanted and they wanted me to care for. So well, I sat it on the uh, on concrete outside our house and that heat from that concrete and the hot, you know, you know, warm spring or summer temperatures ended up killing them. So um, keep that in mind when you're hardening them off. But, you know, think about are they comfortable? Are they in the right temperature range? Am I caring for them? Do they have enough food, enough water? Again, right. just like a baby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't have kids, you'll learn soon enough. And then, so, th- does that pretty much sum up starting seeds for San Diego Seed Company, like the way you do it from start to finish? Uh, pretty much, that's our, that's
0: our round of uh, uh, advice, you know, our, when we get seed starting workshops, and things like that, those are the things we think about. Okay. Just to recap, you know, you want to use the right soil, you want to plant the correct depth, you want to keep the soil, you want to keep the start, um, Moist until they germinate. And then once they germinate, so, so seeds do not need light to germinate. Most vegetables and, and flowers, there's some herbs, but for the most part, they don't need light to germinate because they're in the soil. It's dark in there. But once they pop through that soil, they need to have some type of light source, whether it be natural or artificial, to photosynthesize and continue to
1: grow. Right. So, this is something that I uh, ask my guests, or I'm going to start asking my guests, and I want to um, start with you. So, what is your favorite vegetable to grow in your garden?
0: Oh, my
1: gosh. That's like
0: telling me to be the favorite child. I don't care. <laughs> you got to have one. I, have I don't know. I could... um, oh, God, that's hard to say. I... Love potatoes because of how, like, when you dig up a potato. I don't care if you're five or sixty. The reaction is always the same. You giggle with like such delight when you dig up a potato.
1: It's like a treasure hunt. So
0: I love potatoes. It is. It's like, yeah. It's just, and they're always so big and beautiful, and, and yeah. So. I love potatoes. Uh I also just love to grow tomatoes, pruning, all of that is really fun. But I really can't choose. I started the company uh because I wanted to inspire other people to enjoy as much of uh you know, the things you can get out of gardening, not just the produce pitching but also the, the, the big life pictures, you know, the big picture stuff that we learn as gardeners I think uh makes us better people and everybody can benefit from that. So it's really hard for me to choose, but I'll say potatoes for
1: now. <laughs> and what do you? What is it that you love about gardening? I mean, you kind of talked about it just then, but what is it that really like get gets you going for gardening?
0: Well, I mean, um, gardening, farming, you know, eating food is is such a intrinsic part of who we are as humans. Um, and when you can grow your own food and and feel that nourishment, and have a little bit of control over that. That is an amazing feeling. And then when you share it with other people, whether it be you get them into gardening, or um, you know you're just sharing a homegrown tomato, it is a connection and a bond that you create that you know lasts forever. And um, I just think that gardening for for me is a, a little bit of like my zen space. And it helps remind me of the things that really matter. So I have a deep connection with growing and it has really dated me in my life to have a
1: good quality life. Yeah, it's infectious for sure. And once people see it and they try it, I, th- I think a lot of people, you know, even just, and I, I sh- can't stress this enough is, and this is the whole basis of our movie, of the podcast, everything we talk about. It doesn't matter if you just have one plant in a pot, you're still gardening. And just to have that feeling. And, and by the way, the smell of a tomato plant itself is amazing. It's the best smell.
0: I know. Um, have you ever smelled carrot seeds? Oh, my God. Carrot seed is has this sweet, just uh, delicious smell that is incredible. And, you know, I, I want to make perfume out of it. That's
1: fine. I have not, but I'm, but I'm going to. If you make tomato or even a carrot seed perfume, I will buy it. So you have your first customer oh, right here, funny. and then, wonderful.
0: I, I do want to mention too, real quick, is you know you, you said uh, you know you're a gardener, even if you grow one thing in a pot. Well, we we follow the same sentiment. Uh, we have a program called A Million Urban Farmers, and the idea is that we want people to realize that if you're growing, you know, if you're serious about growing, whether you're growing in an urban space or a rural space. You could still be a farmer. It doesn't you don't have to own a hundred acres of corn or soy to be a farmer anymore. Uh we want to revolutionize the way people look at farmers. So if you look at our Facebook and our Instagram and online, uh we have our urban farming uh campaign and we have people who have taken photos of the sign that says, I am an urban farmer, and so I want to let your listeners know about that. And if you believe in that, then shoot us a photo of you holding a sign that says, I am an urban farmer. And encourage other people to do the same. Because, um, you know, what farmers look like now, a photo of a farmer now is very different than, you know, when my grandfather was a farmer. Yeah. Um, who we are and our characteristics are very different. But I'm happy to see that so many people are taking an interest in where their food comes from.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what drives it is the big resurgence in gardening is where does my food come from and what am I eating? Because there's a lot of, you know, the Internet's a great thing, but it's brought on a lot of questions about where our foods come from and what's in it. And when you grow it and you know exactly what's in your food all the time.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And then um, I totally lost my train of thought right there. (laughs) Oh, the first, it's funny you said it's a revolution because the first podcast of 2020, we named it 2020 is a year of uh, gardening revolution because we just want people to, you know, and I designed this whole thing that we're doing. I mean, obviously experience, I don't believe there's such thing as an expert gardener, but we designed this for the person who doesn't know or is having a really hard time, the beginners and try and get people into it so they understand. So that's kind of the whole basis well, of that's this.
0: That's great. And the well, li- you're doing a very good job. You're you're doing it. Uh, you know, on your side of the country, we're doing on a, on ours. We have a we launched an online program that's on Teachable that is for beginning gardeners. If anybody's interested, that's also on our website, on Facebook, and all of that. Um, because we want to do the same thing. We want to inspire, educate, support as many growers as we can. Yeah. Because that's that's the future.
1: And I, I promise I'm going to come out to San Diego soon.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, it's a beautiful place. We can't wait to have you.
1: And the last question, and this is going to be a difficult one, is because you're in your car. Do you have a recipe, an easy recipe that you want to share with everybody? We give a recipe every episode that is based off of what people can grow in their garden. And it's usually plant-based just because most people don't have chickens or pigs that they slaughter or however you want to phrase it, but anything that you want to give, any kind of recipe for a vegetable or anything like that?
0: Yeah, so um, one thing that I've been obsessed with is uh, we grow fava beans every year to um, improve our soil structure and for a while I was having a hard time really like uh, enjoying them. I wasn't cooking them right. I couldn't quite figure it out. Then I went in Peru and they make favas so uh, they made like a fava hummus. So you just take the fava beans, um, you know, if, if you harvest them when they're young and tender, you can take the beans out of the main pod. If you let them get kind of too big, they'll get a little tough. You take them out of their main pod, you flash boil them, and then if the green part actually um, pops off, and you get the inner part of the fava you food process that up with a little bit of olive oil garlic uh, lemon juice you know whatever your flavor palate likes i usually like to put some type of chili in there because oh so, you know whatever you enjoy um chili you can put cilantro but i can eat a whole bowl of the salva hummus it's delicious so highly recommend it um It's a great way to use the favas, and they're really good for your garden as well. So it's
1: one way. Yeah, we'll link to everything, and I appreciate you coming on. And we're going to do a a seed giveaway because San Diego Seed came on, so check out our Instagram, and we'll post all the rules and everything like that. And everybody have a good day, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Happy growing. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. So if you have any questions or want to know what we've been up to, you can follow us on our social media pages. On Facebook and Instagram, it's Backyard Gardens The Movie. And on Facebook, we also have a group. It's called Backyard Gardens. We have a website, BackyardGardensTheMovie.com. You can sign up there for an email to get updates about production and release dates for our movie. And give us a like and a review on iTunes or in your favorite services because it'll really help us reach more people. Because we want to help everybody learn to grow and grow for change. Cut. Now you know why people feel like celebrating at harvest time.
0: All over the world, people have feasting and good times when the crops have been gathered in.